Hey friends, welcome to this week's episode of Evolve with Danny Morell. Um, you know, one of the things that I realized recently was we never released our interview with Alex Rodriguez from Relentless two years ago. And so that's your gift for this week's episode, the full interview with A-Rod, Alex Rodriguez. Enjoy. So guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask a couple of questions. Uh, and then we'll give you guys an opportunity to ask a couple of questions. Uh, one of the things that I respect most about Alex is that uh, he's a winner. He's an absolute winner, and winning is one of the most important values in my life. At whatever he does, he finds a way to win. So um, to be honest with you, I have never in my life prepared questions before. I just normally like to freestyle it a little bit, right? But uh, this is very, very important, and I want to make sure that I ask the right questions. Are you ready to rock and roll? I just want to ask a question. In the room, show of hands, how many people here have a college degree? How many of you have an MBA? Uh, law degree. <laughs> a couple of lawyers in the room. Okay. How many people think real estate is a great way to make a living? And, and the last one is, just so I've got to get a gauge of the room, uh, how many people here consider themselves entrepreneurs? Okay, cool. Awesome, awesome. So let's get started, guys. Uh, the first question is, you know, what was the thinking behind you buying your very first duplex in Miami? The, the thinking, Danny, when I first bought my first duplex was basically buying an asset versus a liability. Yeah. And in many ways, it was my way of playing prevent defense because what I started looking at was data. And I'm a big believer, being an old school guy now at 42, that numbers don't lie. And I'm gonna give you just a few data points that in my career uh, was really pertinent to my plan for life after baseball. And I think being proactive, having a plan is so important because I always say that a fool with a plan will always beat a genius without one every time. Mm. So have a plan. But the numbers that jumped out at me, Danny, were, were a few. Number one, uh, unlike anybody in this room, as an athlete, you make 90% of your lifetime income from age 20 to 30. The average career for a Major League Baseball player is 5.5 years. And of the 750 players in the Major Leagues, less than 5% have a college degree. So with that information alone, I would short the stock. Which means that's why these numbers are at 60, 70% of players are going bankrupt with right. life after baseball. So it was, it was just an idea to start hedging against what has become a very negative outcome for athletes. Yeah, I love it. And you know, in, in some aspects, I mean, you, you had vision. Mm -hmm. You were able to look into the future and you were able to see what you didn't want to have. We actually talked about that. And as a result, you took some active and preventative steps in order to make sure that you... you you, you took care of what needed to be taken, taken care of. That's right, you gotta always play offense, always attack. You know, fortune favors the bold. Mm -hmm. When in doubt, attack. Make the call, write that email, be assertive. You know what, in my game, in the game of baseball, if you fail 70% of the times, you go to Cooperstown and you're a Hall of Famer. So, who cares? You know, people are gonna say no to you. You have to be able to get up the next day and do it again, do it again. Failing is par for the course. But if you shoot out there 100 emails, you make 100 calls, you DM people, be bold, present, have a great attitude, good things are gonna happen to you versus the guy that's sitting on the sideline judging you. I love it, I love it, I love it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. 
Second question, what was your first big real estate purchase? And, and I'm talking the one that made you uncomfortable. Maybe it was a couple of units. Uh, um, and, um, and how did you get over the negative emotions of that purchase? And I think that's what stops a lot of us as human beings. You know, we want to go for it and then that fear gets in the way. What, what was that first purchase? What, what was it unit-wise? Uh, uh, what did it look like? Yeah, so, you know, size is relative, right? Both mm -hmm. in, in amount of units and uh, check size. So in my early 20s, I bought a duplex. And it was about a $50,000 check that I needed to write. And I was going to get a, a loan for $150,000. And both units were you know, rented for about $1,100. And I would just cover my nut and call it a day. But I was nervous as heck. But what's interesting was I didn't have a lot of capital at the time. And the few dollars that I had saved, I didn't want to make uh, kind of a risky investment, which at the time I thought it was. So I uh, went to sleep for a couple of nights thinking, how do I raise this money? Uh, finally woke up one night in the middle of the night and I said, I got it. I went into my safe. I had two Rolexes, two watches, uh, and I sold those. And then I did a little card show up in Seattle with my boy, Scott. And uh, I raised about, call it $30,000, $35,000. Then I wrote the check of, of the difference. And then I was off to the races. And, uh, you know, duplex read to a fourplex. I sold that made a pretty good return. I said, man, it's a pretty good business. Yeah. And then I bought 60 units, and that was the first. Six zero? Six zero. Got it. And that was the first big check that I had to write, and that was a couple years later. Now, that one I couldn't sleep at night. I remember going to spring training to Arizona. At the time, I was with the Mariners, and I had two thoughts as I faced Pedro Martinez throwing 1,000. Uh, <laughs> number one, I hope my 60 tenants pay the rent so I can pay my mortgage. Right. And uh, number two, I hope that, uh, that he, he just doesn't hit me in the head because I should be thinking about him 100% right. of the time. Right. But, but I, I thought that was the big first pivotal. Now, we grew that, cut to today, the, the portfolio grew to about 14,000 apartment units yeah. in 14 cities all over the southeast. And uh, it's been an incredible business that started really, really small. I love that. I, you know, yeah, absolutely. You know, if you guys didn't catch on, the, the, the one thing that he said was, you know, he decided to buy the fourplex and he got resourceful. Did you guys catch that? He got resourceful. He sold the watches, he raised a little bit of money, and he made it happen. And I want you guys to learn from that because that's what winners do, right? What the non-winners do is when it comes time to, like, put the pedal to the metal, they stop. They freeze. And you, you just found a way to make it happen. That's you right. Know? That's right. And I, I believe that's helped you. In just in your professional career altogether? The, the difference between good and great is thinking outside the box, is you have to have that gut. Sometimes you have to have uh, a little bit more courage than other times, yeah. but the true people that really make a difference are, are they, they're pioneers because they do things that others are not willing to do. Right. And the interesting thing about being a young entrepreneur with not a lot to lose, you can take more chances. You know, if, if you're worth, you know, $10,000, you can go all in is one thing. If you're worth 10 million, going all in is a little bit different, right? So just like in sports, your game has to be able to change a little bit. And, you know, Danny's done a fantastic job of his superpower is to be able to convey to the world, both to teach, entertain, and inspire all of you and millions of people across the board through his platforms. Well, you have to understand what is your superpower? And I've built a team around me 
that complements my set of skills. Okay, we have great lawyers, we have great MBAs, we have all the great people that we have that are gonna challenge my views, and I think we can do anything. And I have a bunch of people that says, you're wrong. <laughs> we can't do that much. But, but that balance is what you need. It does not make sense if, you have, if you're an accountant and you pick a partner that's another accountant. If you have an accountant and a numbers guy and a chief operating officer, then go out and get someone like Danny who can actually go out and tell your story and help you build on what you have. Think about basketball. If you already have Magic Johnson, you don't need Isaiah Thomas. You need to go get Kareem mm -hmm. and vice versa. That's exactly how you want to build your business team. I love it. I love it. I love it. In terms of investing, um, we spent the majority of the, of the day really uh, talking about assets and liabilities, mm -hmm. really understanding that we need to start working to create a financial fortress for our mm -hmm. families. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and, you know, I realize you're in a different position because of baseball and because of what happened. Mm -hmm. However, one of the things that I don't believe is I don't believe in using that as, as an excuse. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't believe in seeing myself different than anybody else, right? In terms of investing, you know, what would you do differently? What piece of advice would you give all of us? You know, if we want to start building wealth, what would you do differently or what would you tell your younger version of yourself uh, now that you have the experience that you have today? Well, two things. Uh, I, I would say don't be afraid to sell at the top of the market. You know, sometimes uh, I find a lot of my friends that fall, into, fall in love with their assets. And, and I think that's a mistake. And you saw it a lot in 06, 07, 08. No one wanted to sell. They were getting offered three caps, four caps, five mm -hmm. caps, and there were no, no, no. And then cut to uh, the fall of 08 and, and spring of 09, and their properties are worth uh, you know, half of what they owe the right. bank. Right. And that's what created this incredible you know, downfall in our economy. So that, that's one thing, but always remember, again, one of the, the, the temptations we have to stay away from as we buy assets <clears throat> is buying the cheapest and the worst. That may sound good in the short term. Always think about buying the best. Pay, pay a fair price for a great asset versus paying a great price for a fair asset. In the long run, when you buy quality, you're always gonna do better, okay? Does Mike Trout make a lot of money? Yes, it's been a great, great investment. And if you ask Artie Moreno from the Angels, he's probably said he's worth double that, because he is. Mm. So when in doubt, buy the best. Instead of buying three average things, three average assets, buy one great asset, mm. sit on it, two or three years when you collect a few more dollars, buy another asset. You look up in 10 years and you have three assets that you feel good about, that maybe you've been able to go out and refinance and go buy a little bit more. Less is more and the turtle wins the race. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it, yeah. This, this is a little bit of a side question. Um, you, know, you know, right now we're at a place in the market where prices are, they're up high. Are you still buying right now? So we still always buy. We're always very aggressive. We're buying probably one quarter at the velocity that we are buying two years ago. Oh, okay. So I made a decision with our firm that about 18 months we started to sell a lot of our assets. Mm -hmm. And I started to feel a little bit like 07, 06, where my Uber driver's telling me that he has two condos for sale. And I said, that's when I start, you know, you go to the waiter and he's buying an investment property. And the great thing about age, you start seeing these patterns again. You know, 
when, when, when uh, Clayton Kershaw would throw me a slow curveball, I swear it looked like a strike, and by the time I swung at it, it hit the ground, and it was another <laughs> strikeout. And what you realize with experience is that the one that starts way up there that we think is a ball, that's the strike. Same thing happens in business. So I made a decision 18 months ago to liquidate a lot of our portfolio. So we sell 1,000 properties, uh, 1,000 units, we're buying about 200, about that ratio. Mm. And the reason why is we wanted to be in a very, very strong position, stack a bunch of capital up, so when this thing gets corrected, we can come in and strike in a big way. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it, yeah. So, uh, but Danny, with that said, again, it's always out of the box. That doesn't mean that you say, okay, I'm gonna go to the Maldives, or I'm gonna go to Malibu and just lay out. You're always looking for opportunities. Sure. You're always making phone calls because when you least expect it, from who you least expect it, is where the best deal comes from. So that does not give you an excuse to stop working, to stop grinding, to, I mean, you should be sending, I had a great one of my mentors that said, if you don't have a breakfast, lunch, and dinner set up every night, then you're not doing your work, networking. Mm. You gotta get out there, take the lunch, take the breakfast, make the call. I mean, sleep when you're dead, right? This is the greatest opportunity in mankind. And the average American today lives better. The average American today lives better than John Rockefeller did when he was the richest man in the world. Wow. So great opportunity. You build companies today that has taken 50 years, GE, you know, Coca-Cola, all these companies, and you have Amazon, Facebook, uh, Snapchat, all worth as much if not more, and it's happened in a third of the time. So the same thing can happen to you, why not you? Absolutely, I love it, yeah. So, um, and, and this I love, because I saw you handle this, and I saw you you know, um, I'm gonna say, uh, be transformed as a result of this. And I, I kind of saw you obviously just on TV, but there was just something about you that I think grew as a result of this. Um, adversity. You know, no one that does anything great is a stranger to adversity. How did you handle your adverse times? How did you, how did you keep it all together mentally, um, especially with the pressure that you have being mm -hmm. in the public eye? Well, I don't know if I've kept it together mentally. That's very subjective. <laughs> That's a work in progress. But um, the first thing in any turnaround story has to come with accountability. Mm -hmm. uh, understand self-awareness. Uh, I made huge mistakes and then acted like a jackass afterwards mm. and made it worse. And I doubled down with dumb, dumber behavior. And... What I realized is when I woke up one day and kind of sobered up, I realized that I had to stop pointing fingers. Yeah. Um, I had to turn the lens inward. And sometimes you make a rehab in your life and you can just kind of do a fixer up where you can fix windows and roofs and landscape and it looks better. In my case, I had to tear the whole house down. And the one year suspension, which was the longest suspension in the history of suspensions for Major League Baseball, uh, it was made because of PED, PED right. use. And it's something that I had to press the pause button and work on myself and come out a different person. And I felt that while I wanted it to be a 50-game suspension or hopeful that it was 50 games, the 162 allowed me to tear the house down and to start building it one brick at a time. Mm. And that was both challenging and, and, and rewarding, Danny, mm. to your point about being a different person 
coming back with appreciation, yeah. being grateful, and getting back. I'll share one story with you. I'm back in uniform. Nobody thinks I'm going to make the team. Uh, people are hoping I don't make the team. And I get back on track after my suspension. I work my absolute you-know-what off. And I show up to camp. There's a poll that comes out that says, I believe is in one of the New York papers, I won't mention it, <laughs> um, <laughs> that said that uh, 5% of the people thought I would make the team. 95 or so said, there's no way he's gonna make the team. He's 40, he's had two hip surgeries, two knee surgeries, his back slowed down, he sucks, everybody go home. Mm -hmm. So I show up to camp, uh, I have the best year of my life. You know, 33 home runs, we go back to the postseason. But the point is, I made it a point to say, I'm gonna sign at least 25 autographs per day, uh, regardless of what happens at the stadium when I drive back. Uh, I'm gonna put the same Journey song on and I'm gonna really sing and, and really just be grateful and appreciative of the opportunity to be one of 750, but more importantly, one of 25 wearing pinstripes, pinstripes. Oh, the yeah. same uniform that DiMaggio wore, yes. Luke Gehrig, Reggie Jackson, Yogi Berra, and I sat there at seven o'clock for a 7.08 game at the great Yankee Stadium in a $2 billion cathedral in the Bronx, and I sat there in front of the Bronx in, in the mirror, and I'm making sure that nobody was around, and I'm looking at myself in pinstripes. I'm 40 years old, just got out of suspension, two hip surgeries, two knee surgeries, and I'm saying to myself, holy shit, I'm a Yankee. That's awesome. I'm 40 years old, and I'm hitting third. Right. And Danny, the reason why I share that story with you, my brother, and everybody here is attitude will determine altitude. Absolutely. So you get up every day with a great attitude. You wake up with saying, why not me? You wake up saying, I can, yes I can, yes I can, versus the other way. Yeah. You're gonna win more often than not. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, And, I, and I, I, I try to live by, by this principle, see the positive in everything. And I love the fact that you were hoping for 50 games, mm -hmm. but then when you got a year, you saw the positive even in that. Yeah, I didn't see it at the time, Danny. Okay, okay. At the time, <laughs> I, went to, I wish I was that good. I was that trying good. to see the positive. I'm not that good. Yeah. <laughs> I went into massive depression for three weeks. Yeah. Uh, I got the call, 162, I went down to my knees, tears just started flowing out. Uh, I sat in my house depressed for two weeks, uh, grow a beer, trying to grow a beer like you, but I couldn't. But <laughs> it was somewhat of an ugly look. And I just didn't want to be around anyone. I would email people, no one would email me back. Uh, if, they, if they told me, if I had a dollar for every time that someone said, oh, I got lost in spam or whatever, is that what they call it? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, great. Yeah. Um, and, and it was just this incredible, tough experience. But when I look at it now, five years removed from that, I think about it often because being grounded, having appreciation, being here with all you great people, sharing what it is like to try to go to the next level, tell you a little bit about my experiences, my mistakes, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm hopeful that everybody here gets an opportunity to pivot from whatever mistake you've made or will make and be able to go to where you wanna go because you will go higher if you take the great gift of fucking up in the biggest way on the biggest stage like I did. Yes, I love it. I love it.
I don't know about you, are you guys enjoying this? <laughs> I am thoroughly enjoying this, thoroughly enjoying this. Um, Alex, the world gives us ample opportunity to earn money and spend it. We talked about it a lot today. Um, I, I like nice things. I love to live a great lifestyle. How do you find the balance? I don't know if you even need the balance, but how do you find that balance? You know, it's all relative, right? We all need balance. The more you make, the more the government taxes you, especially here, you're at 53%. So sometimes yeah. I don't know if it's better to make more because they just take more, right? But, but, but the idea is that, you know, it's all relative. If you're making $40,000 a year, 15% is one thing. If you're making 400,000 a year, 15% is another. But I would say on a, on a minimum, you want to at least save 10%, you know? Now, if you're an athlete, and we talked about that data point of making 90% of your income from age 20 to 30, I wish athletes saved about 20 or 40% because that's what they're gonna need to make. When you're an athlete and you make $5 million a year, folks, it's not 5 million bucks a year. I always tell people, well, I'll, I'll give you this data point. So people always say, Alex, why do players continue to go bankrupt? Why does that happen? And they say, take $100 million. That's an awful lot of money. If you take $100 million and you play in New York or LA, now you're down to 50. If you have your agent, that's another 5%. You have your attorney, he's at 10%. Now, you still haven't bought a car. Mm -hmm. You know, you still haven't bought a house. And you haven't even been divorced for the first time yet. <laughs> so, it happens. <laughs> it happens, people, it happens. <laughs> Next question. Uh, <laughs> Someone in the back just got that joke. But yeah. <laughs> a little coffee for them. <laughs> so, um,. Well, you answered it, and you answered it. So I'm gonna ask you another question. Um, I was gonna ask you what percentage of one's income should be saved or invested, but um, how, how, how important is buying real estate? Because I, there's, there's people in all different walks of lives here, mm -hmm. but how important has it been for you mm -hmm. in terms of your overall financial plan? For me, real estate is the greatest investment vehicle out there. It truly is, because uh, no matter what age, race, uh, the younger you are, the better it is, uh, you can participate in real estate in so many ways. It's the only place where you can make billions of dollars with no money, right? And most billionaires that have built it from, from, from the ground up have started with no money. Uh, yeah, does it, does it help to have a big star? Sure. But, but I'm, Danny, if, 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 if you're a young entrepreneur, when you went to Dodger Stadium, you didn't have much money. Right. But if I told you the secret sauce that gave you a competitive advantage over the rest of this room, that I was gonna go out and deploy $100 million of equity, which was gonna buy me $300 million of apartments, mm -hmm. and then I'm gonna do that in the quadrant of uh, California, uh, Arizona and Vegas, mm -hmm. and I needed to buy complexes that were uh, at least 200 units. Mm -hmm. That is a lot of data. Right. So you know where that train is going. $300 million, you do the math, at 3%, you're making a pretty good income, right? Right. So if Danny's a young lad and he now starts searching, he has the answer to the test, people. He has it. By the way, so do a lot of us. We just don't do anything about it. Right. So he knows that I'm gonna go buy 300 million and I have to buy it in the next 18 months. 
if you sit there and you're still sitting there, you've made a mistake. Yeah. Because what you should be doing is finding who are the biggest landowners, uh, real estate owners in the areas that I just told you, and then go try to leverage deals because you have a buyer that's hot, that's super liquid, that's gonna go buy assets. And if you execute a part of that, you've made three, four, five, nine million dollars. Sure. Right, so it's kind of thinking outside the box. If you find a great asset that's worth $10 million and you can find it for nine and a half million, you just have 500,000 in your pocket. Yeah. If you buy it for nine, eight, you have 200, especially if it's a great asset. If you bring it to someone like me that understands value because I've been buying real estate for 20 years and you can find me a great asset in a great location that's $25 million and you can find it for 23, you don't think I'm gonna make it my partner? Right. You're wrong, because I will, right? There's always a way to create and to make it rain even when you don't have capital. Don't make that an excuse. If you learn one thing today, go find great assets. There's more liquidity today than ever before, ever. I mean, you have money pouring out of everywhere, from institutions to universities like Cal Berkeley and Stanford and Harvard. They're just loaded with billions and trillions of dollars. What people don't have is great people and they don't have great assets to buy. Mm. If you find those through your personality, through your competitive advantage. You know, I've been working on a deal for 14 years on one deal. She's a lady, I'm not gonna tell you the market so you guys beat me to it. <laughs> but she has a portfolio she started buying in the 1960s for $5,000 a door. This portfolio is probably worth about $2 billion today. Now I would do anything to get my hands on it because she is a lady that is an incredible, I mean, she's a great mentor of mine, number one. But number two, she's been very mom and papa. In some cases, she hasn't raised the rent in five years. Oh, wow. And in some cases, the rent is $2,700 and she has it at 700. Oh, right, so regardless of what you pay for this asset, it's worth two times that at least. Right. Right? From just an algorithm, being really institutional the way we run it, we can clean it up, we can manage it, we can make it prettier but there's no debt on this portfolio. I may not get it, but I'm trying my ass off. Yeah, I got it, I love it, I love it, I love it. Do you believe in the power of mentorship, coaching? Um, if so, who have been your most important mentors in the baseball or business world, and what did you learn from them? You know, in baseball, I've had some incredible, I just posted about this, about I was fortunate that from age about 10 to about 25 or so, I had essentially three coaches. And they were all great teachers and mentors. And whether it's sports or whether it's business, it all comes down to executing fundamentals. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have five or six or 700 billionaires today in the world. If you take it all away and everybody goes back to zero, and you do it again in 20 years, pretty much probably 300 of those 500 will be the same billionaires. Because they're simply better. They have better skills, they have better work ethic, they have that it factor. Something that you can create, something that you can learn from, okay? The thing in baseball is Shaquille O'Neal. He's seven foot one, he's 300 pounds, he can, well maybe 400, but he, he can <laughs> dunk the basketball very easily. You see it. If a guy's throwing 100 miles an hour, you have uh, Otani here. He throws 100, we can all see it, it's very tangible. But some of the greatest, smartest, skilled people look like a custodian, but they can also be a billionaire. They look like a fireman. They can, 
you, you can't tell the difference. And, and, and that's good and bad, right? But the point is, is skill. And the more you work on your skill, the more you work with a great attitude every single day, the, the better you're going to be. I love it. I love it. Um, I, just another. How was it working with Joe Torrey? That was just, just a little. Joe Torrey has been a great mentor of mine. Uh-huh. But Torrey was like, it was like playing baseball for The Godfather. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was like, come over here and close the door. <laughs> I'm like, am I going to get whacked? <laughs> Coach, I swear I've been working on my hitting. <laughs> Close the door. I'm like, can I bring one of the other coaches? <laughs> and you know, I remember one time I was in, I was in a terrible slump. George Steinbrenner, the great late George Steinbrenner, the owner of the Yankees, wrote me this beautiful note, and handwritten. And I see it, and I see GMS, GMS is his initials, and my heart started like racing. And he basically wrote, "Dear Alex." I brought you here because I believe in you. Uh, just like when I brought Reggie Jackson here in the mid-70s, you know, you're my guy. And he, he basically finished the note by saying, I'm counting on you. And that ended my slump, and I went on to hit two home runs that night, and, and the rest was history. I ended that year very, very well in 2004. You know, Joe had a different approach. He would bring me into the office after I was struggling, and I swear I couldn't see the ball. I mean, I was striking out two or three times a game and, and getting pretty beat up by the fans. And, and he said, listen, uh, I want you uh, and Cynthia, my wife uh, at the time, um, to go and uh, not sh- So we have, sh- you have to be at Yankee Stadium every day at three o'clock for a stretch. He said, I don't want you to show up tomorrow to 6 p.m. I said, six, coach, the, the game starts at seven. He goes, I want you to have these two bottles of wine. So he had two Opus One, he gave it to me. He had two cigars. I said, my wife doesn't smoke. I said, then you smoke them. And he goes, have these two, have these cigars, and come back. Don't show up tomorrow. It's a game time. You're hitting fourth. And I said, Clean okay, it. great. Get drunk, smoke a cigar, and come back to Yankee Stadium. That sounds like a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I sure did. I was hitting fourth, and, and I went deep, and we won the game, and that got me going, right? Yes. Awesome. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Forgive me for this, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of George, George Steinbrenner. Yeah. So... What did you learn by being in that man's presence? Because I'm talking about, you know, he once said, winning isn't everything, but it's right below breathing. Yeah, yeah. You know? You know, and, I, and I, I, I'm, I'm that committed to winning, you know? Yeah, so like, yeah. No, there's, not, no, there's nothing I can compare playing for the boss. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we would show up to spring training, and he had a blue BMW, and it was 1,000 degrees. He was wearing a white turtleneck. And that was his trademark. And he had his Nike jacket and his, you know, trademark Oakleys. I mean, that was and that, uh, Ray-Bans. Uh, and if anyone sees a picture of the boss, usually you'll see him in a white turtle and his Ray-Bans. And one morning, I would get there. We, we had to be in spring training in Tampa around 10 a.m. And I would always pull up around 5.30 or 6. So I wanted to do all my work in the dark while nobody was there. Mm-hmm. And by the time people got there, I just got off on this. People got there, I was already done working. I showered, I breakfast. I read the paper, I was, you know... I loved it. And one morning he pulls up, but he's right in front of me, and it's dark. And, you know, he's a big football, Ohio State, Michigan. He's a big rah-rah guy. And 7 in the morning, 5.30 in the morning, he walks out. I let him clear, go to his office. He leaves the door open. And as I walk in, he's got, like, the Ohio State band playing in his car at that time at 5.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And he just 
so, I mean, everything with the boss, he always said he's not gonna spare any expenses for winning, whatever the players needed. I remember we, the World Series in 2000, he walked into the old Shea Stadium with the Mets, mm -hmm. and he walks in and the furniture was just, what he thought was awful. He goes, what the, what's this, what's this? Literally, after the game, he had all the Yankee personnel getting all that stuff out, and he brought in brand new furniture. At Shea furniture Stadium? In, in, in the, yeah, in, in Shea the Stadium, dugout? in the visitors clubhouse. So for oh, game five and six, we had brand new, you know, basically furniture. Wow. And, and that's George Simon. He'll do anything. He expects more from you than anybody. And then he's very tough and he's going to expect a lot in return. I love it. I love it. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, so I wrote here, winners win. Mm -hmm. uh, and one thing that I've always appreciated about you, um, you're, you're, you're obviously naturally talented and gifted on the baseball field, but you worked hard. Mm -hmm. and, and you've never proven that more than now, mm -hmm. that you're successful not only in investing, but in the broadcast world. Mm -hmm. um, you always seem to find a way to win mm -hmm. and win big. Uh, talk to me about your thoughts on hard work or some of the habits that help you win on a continuous basis. Yeah, so I think a few things. You know, when people think about my career highlights, I played for almost 25 years, people often go to the 2009 World Series or the 2,000 RBIs, 2,000 runs scored, home runs, whatever. But what they forget to tell you is that I'm fifth all-time in the history of the game. Fifth all-time in the history of strikeouts. <laughs> so that means that only five, four people in the history of mankind have more strikeouts than me. <laughs> so that means that I have a PhD in failing. Yeah. But it also has, you know, the only thing that actually makes me feel good about the entire thing, number one in strikeouts is Reggie Jackson, my good friend. So I can, I can sleep better at night. <laughs> but, but I also have a master's in getting back up. And I think getting knocked in your butt, it's par for the course when you're trying to go to new heights, when you're trying to get out of your comfort zone. And it's okay to fail. And what I've learned is that learn from your mistakes, but the most important part of business like sports, is your team. Is you're only as good as your team. Curating uh, complementary partnerships, complementary mentorships, and one thing is 100% for sure, and if you get one thing from this conference, get this, you're never gonna be able to do it alone. Yeah. So who you choose as your partner or partners is probably the most important uh, element of your growth in your business, and where you land in 10, 15, 20 years, 30 years from now, is gonna be probably an average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. You know, it's funny, um, yeah. yeah. It's funny you say that, because uh, it's been a blessing for me personally uh, to not only uh, spend this short amount of time with you, but also yesterday with Ed. And you know, Ed pulled me aside yesterday, and, and, he, and he, he's kind of spoken to my life. He says, he says, Danny, I think you're a 50 million a year guy. I really do. He says, but the one thing you've got to understand is the thing keeping you back is that you've got to hang out with people like me a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what you just said. You've got to hang out with people that expand your thinking, mm -hmm. because when your thinking expands, and you can expect and anticipate greatness. Yeah. Would you agree? Well, I do, and, and I've always said that winners hang out with winners. Yeah. And, and losers hang out with losers, right? I mean. Misery loves company, but what you find is that 
if you hang out with people, I always want to be uh, the dumbest guy in every room I walk into and then find a couple, which in my case is not that, not that difficult. Um, but you want to go into uh, always inquisitive, asking questions, mm-hmm. surround yourself with greatness. And the more you're around great people and, you, and they can mentor you, one of the most utilize, underutilized assets out there are seniors in, in our community. You know, I think there's gold when you think about from the age of 60 to 90, that is my favorite age. Because by this point, um, they've passed their conglomerate to uh, the MBA son who's a lot more privileged and, <laughs> and mm-hmm. thinks he knows it all. And their phone doesn't ring anymore. They go from running a company that has sometimes from 100 to 10,000 people to now their phone's their grandpa. Mm-hmm. And what's great is they're better than ever, they're alert, they only gave the business down because it was time to pass it down. And you call them for advice. I create my board of advisors, and they're usually 60 to 85. And it's just the most wonderful thing because you can't get them on the phone. It's like putting a quarter in. And I always say, if you want an MBA, go to a great school. If you want wisdom, go to a retirement home. Mm. I love that. I love that. What's the hardest thing you've ever had to do in your career, uh, whether baseball, personal, business? What's, what's, what's the hardest thing you've ever had to go through? Go through? I think it's accountability, is really understanding when to make amends and say sorry. Mm. I think sorry is one of the most powerful words in the English vocabulary. Because if you can be accountable in apologize to people, not only are you showing them respect, but you're telling yourself that you have your self-awareness and it gives you an opportunity, whether they like you or not, to move forward. Mm. And the biggest key in business is you have to be trustworthy. And if people don't trust you, there's never going to be a business. You can never do a great deal with a bad guy or a bad person. You can never do a good deal with a bad person. Always remember that. No matter how good the deal is, if the person is a bad, it's not going to work. The other thing is, I'd rather have a great team with an average idea than a great idea with a bad team. It always starts with the foundation. You can't build a 30-story high-rise with no foundation. People try. It doesn't work. Spend your time doing two things, people. Number one is build your team a strategic team. Number two, always negotiate terms up front. And remember to be flexible. But be very click. You know, amateurs, they start negotiating in the fourth inning. It's too late. Always do all your negotiating. More seasoned people, experts, they spend 99% of the time in, in, in working the deal, making sure it's the right deal, and then going out and playing the game and make sure that you have alignment. The only alignment in life in business is financial alignment. There is no other alignment, people. So I always say, if I make money, my team makes money. Mm-hmm. We eat what we kill. Yeah. Simple as that. I always say, if we won a championship in 09, from George Steinbrenner, Hal Steinbrenner, to the 25-man roster, to the folks that helped us park our cars, everybody had an incredible role. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, 
that if we're winning a championship and we're drinking champagne and the bad boy is drinking Coors Light, that's a problem. Because what you want to condition everybody is that if we win, we all drink champagne. Now, the great players like Mariano Rivera, they may drink a Magnum, you know, champagne. <laughs> but, you know, the bad boy should damn get a couple sips, right. right? And once they taste that, they want a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And then you start conditioning everybody in your office that if you win, you get something. You know, sometimes we sell a company and we have somebody in our office and we send them a little check. And they're like, oh my God, what is this? You know, $9,000. And it may be one of our, our, our young, you know, uh, desk girls. And they're like, or, or, or young men right out of college. And what happens, yeah, we sold the company. So now they start walking around as, when are we selling another company? When are we selling another company? Right, but, so you start creating an atmosphere that you want to win, and that, that's a good thing. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it, yes. Two more questions, and, and, and we will wrap this up. Um, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, uh, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not. Um, I, 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 typic- I, I see myself as an American, and I'm real colorblind when it comes to all that stuff. And yet, you know, what you and Jennifer are doing, whether you realize it or not, is that you are showing the, the Latino community here in the United States of America um, what's possible. Um, number one, how does that feel? And then number two, what could we do um, to condition our minds to be able to accept all of the opportunities that this country really gives us? Yeah, so I think understanding number one that we live in the greatest country in the world, Yeah. right? I acknowledge that. In a lot of the programs that both Jennifer and I get involved with is educating the youth. And what that means is, for me personally, growing up in Miami, I didn't see a lot of people like myself with brown skin, wearing suits and ties and going to the office. I thought there was two ways out of the hood, either the wrong way or hitting home runs. Mm -hmm. And thank God I can hit home runs. But what we wanna show the next generation that it's okay to be uh, a woman, it's okay to be of brown skin, it's okay not to be like the traditional and you can still win. And yeah. that's what this great country provides you. And I think, you know, Jennifer is really the epitome of, you know, I always say like the last hundred years was about us men, the next hundred years is about women. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And Danny, for me, there's no better role model, no better mother, uh, no better light. I've never met a smarter woman, a smarter person than Jennifer. She is really um, an incredible role model and, and quite, quite the rock star. I love it. I love it. Um, I honestly want to come up with about 50 more questions, but I'm really enjoying this moment right now. But, um, do you have f- any questions? You know what? Let's do that. You, are you okay with that? Sure. Okay. Why not? You guys have questions? Let it rip. Come on up. Come on up. Come on up. The only question is, don't ask if you can come up and take a selfie. (laughs) Come on, David. Alex, uh, I've been waiting to ask you this question for a long time now. Uh, Maybe it was a bad idea. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. No, uh, my question is this. um, What is the best advice uh, 
God that you got from Derek when you first got your, your stripes? And how did you implement it uh, in your life or on the diamond? Did you hear that question? Yeah, what's the first question? When you first were about to put on those pinstripes, uh -huh. what's the best advice you got from Derek? Uh -huh. uh, because that, that, those pinstripes carry weight. You mean the first time ever, like back in 2004? Yeah. <sighs> Honestly, I don't remember any one thing that anyone told me. The, the whole experience was so surreal. A lot of folks don't know this, but I had already done a deal with the Red Sox. Yes. And there was a contract signed in my safe by John Henry, Theo Epstein, and myself. And then that, after just a marathon of negotiation around the clock, that deal fell apart because the union thought that I was conceding too much money back. And they were scared to set the wrong president for the student body of all the other you know, players because we belong to a union. So needless to say, I was incredibly disappointed. And then two weeks later, I ended up with the Yankees. So it was just a lot. And then a few days later, I was in spring training. So I, I just know that Derek, for the most part, is very um, clear about his message. Uh, he, he thinks New York is the best place. He thought it was an incredible opportunity. And like anything that Derek wants to do, he always wants to win. So he said, let's go win. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. So I thought I was the biggest fan until I made Danny, actually, <laughs> with the Yankees. So um, right now, you know, I'm, I'm a, little, a little starstruck. But at the same time, you know, I'm, I want to look at you as Alex Rodriguez, the entrepreneur, the best, the great businessman. And I want to ask you, you mentioned that, you know, king of failure, right? Or king of failure, uh, fifth all-time on strikeouts. For those two weeks where you were in depression, mm -hmm. okay, what were the thoughts that were going through your head, right? Obviously, we feel that nobody's there to support emails, nobody's email, emailing back, or maybe not even texting back, right? What did you do, or how did you feel at that point, and what made you change, or what was the turning point to get back on it? Yeah, I mean, so, so first of all, you're thinking to yourself, like, how did I end up here? You know, I'm the only jackass that gets pocket aces and figures out a way to lose a hand. So it, it was just very, very depressing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a competitor by nature. I like to play offense. I, I, what I really understood is that by coming together and having that accountability and saying this is on me, that was the first opportunity that I had a chance to start getting better and start healing. Because while you're in denial and you're doing this and this, you're just getting deeper into the black hole. So it really gave me an opportunity to reflect. Um, I was really, really, really inspired to never put myself in a situation that is so vulnerable that I have to explain to my mother and more importantly my daughters what I did. Mm. And then having to build the courage to come to my daughters uh, you know, they're 13 and 10 now, so they were, you know, nine and six at the time, to be 100% clear on what the mistake I made. And the reason why I thought I needed to do that is because I grew up being bullshitted my whole life. They, they lied, I mean, they, we call it perpetrating, right? And I never heard the truth. And after a while, you, you hear people and they're perpetrating and they think they're being, but you can see right through them, right? Unless you're one of them, you can't really see it. 
-hmm. And I thought that that was an incredible opportunity for me to come fully honest with my girls because one day I would want them to be honest with me when it was difficult for them. So that was probably the most challenging part is talking to my girls. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. Yeah. Being a baseball player and then switching to being a businessman, did you ever have any like self-image problems saying people are not going to see me as a businessman because they see me as an athlete? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. What's your name? Kirk from New York. Kirk from New York. <laughs> you know, 100%. Look, anything in life, when you try to have a second act, yes. the world's going to resist. They want to put you in a small box, right? And if you're a five, even better. People, the world loves fives, right? Um, so anytime you try to say, I'm an athlete and, or I'm an engineer and, or you know, I'm a teacher and I'm a real estate, the world's gonna say, nope, you're just a teacher. So of course, the first five, seven, eight, 10 years of me being in business, people are just saying, oh, that's an athlete. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's an athlete. But you know what I thought that, that was a competitive advantage. Because in sports, I realized that you want people to um, think that you're a last place team. Because you better always, better always, I always say, uh, uh, under promise, over deliver, right? So that's always, but how do you counter that? Is you behave a certain way, like a businessman. You return emails on time. You have a team that's capable. You say what you do and do what you say. And you have to go above and beyond. And sometimes it takes 10 years to brand yourself as someone that people want to do great business with. Now I have the greatest businessman in the world coming and want to do business with me, but it's taken 20 years. You know, I talked to her about a time where people wouldn't return my emails and all of that. So it just takes time. You know, 696 home runs, I didn't do it all in one year. Jesus. I started with one home run in Seattle and, and everybody's in a hurry. You have to kind of slow down, think about your plan, always think proactive, not reactive. I always want people to find answers. And there's always answers out there if you think long enough. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, Alex and Danny. So my question to you, Alex, is do you think um, you will ever get married again? <laughs> Where's Ed? Did Ed go home? Yeah. Ed, these, these questions are getting hard. <laughs> You know what, I, I, never, I never say never. I, I would say this, I, I feel, um, Danny, at 42 now, yeah. I have two beautiful girls, Jennifer has two beautiful twins, boy and a girl. Uh, we have four kids. When we take the kids to school in Miami, we have two stops. We have three in fourth grade, and then Natasha, who's now a rising eighth grader, she's at another school, and I sit there with all the things that I've been through, good, bad, ugly, embarrassment, um, and I just, you know, I have my good friend Ed over here. We, we just had the great pleasure of spending time uh, in Gaza in L.A., and we're there having a glass of wine, a little cigar, and our kids are there having dinner with us. I, I couldn't be more blessed. I couldn't be happier to be sharing my story with this incredible crowd that's going to do some amazing things. And I would just say, as far as marriage, um, I would just say, um, you know, anything's possible. Hey guys, uh, my name is Gus Jacinto. I'm here from, from LA. First of all, I just want to start with, with, with saying thank you 
because um, you're a big, big, big role model and uh, an example for our Hispanic community out here. So thank you so much for that. You and Jennifer, thank you. Second of all, Jim Rohn said a, a something in his, um, in his seminars, and, and one of them was, if you bat 10 times and you strike out seven, you make millions of dollars. And you're an example of that, and I appreciate that because you just made us all feel that it's possible to get up there. You and Danny, thank you so much. Appreciate yeah, thank that. You. The question, question I have for you is who was the person, your first person or coach, the most influenced you in your life? You know, my, the best coach I've ever had in my life is my mother. Mom, I knew you were going to say that. You know. And I come from a single mother who had two jobs. She was a waitress in the morning. Uh, I'm sorry, she served, she was, she was a, a secretary in the morning, served tables at night. And I remember her coming home every night and, you know, Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, she would have, I would take her pouch money and count her money and, it was 24, 25, 26, and I would give her a big hug and rub her feet and say, Mom, we had a great night. And by Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, it was 58, 59, 60, 61 dollars. I felt like we were Warren Buffett, like the richest family in the neighborhood. And her work ethic, the way she went about it, um, the fact that we were able to go to private school through scholarship and her great efforts, uh, there's been no one better for me. Awesome. Great answer. So we're short on time. I'm here doing my mommy duties because my son is your all-time fan. I spent the summer 2007 waiting for the home run. So um, just wanted to say hello and thank you so much for answering the question about the suspension with such eloquence because that's actually one of his questions he had. But I thought, okay. you know, we shouldn't ask that. But thank you so much for being a role model and thank you, Donnie, for being an even thank bigger you, my role friend. model. Thank, thank you. you. Mr. Rodriguez, my name is Adrian, and I want to ask, um, who was your favorite teammate? Who was my favorite what? Teammate. Who was your favorite teammate when you played baseball? Oh, wow. That's such a great question. You said your name is Adrian? Yeah. Adrian, where are you from? Tustin. Where? Tustin. 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 Where is that? Uh, Orange County. <laughs> I'm just stalling because I'm thinking of a good answer. No, I'm just Orange County. Um, <laughs> So I would say this, I would say I played for three teams in 25 years. Uh, I'll give you maybe one or two from each. Uh, in Seattle, I was a young pup, I was 18. Edgar Martinez. Uh, Edgar Martinez was one of them. Um, I had Griffey and Buhner, uh, Joy Cora, just yes. a few. In Texas, I had uh, Michael Young, and I became very friends, great friends. We also had Pudge Rodriguez, who was a great friend, who's now in the Hall of Fame. And then with the Yankees, I would probably say Andy Pettit and Mariano Rivera. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. They seem like great guys. Great guys. Class, class. Hi, Mr. Rodriguez. My name is Jacob. And my question is, how did you find your inspiration for baseball? Your name is Jacob? Mm -hmm. And the question is, how did I find inspiration for baseball? Yes. Yeah, so my father, uh, who now passed a few years ago, um, was a banker and a baseball player. And, and he was really, really good. Um, back in Dominican Republic, you didn't have other options where you can play A ball, double A, triple A. He had to make a decision whether to go play pro 
or go the kind of the business route. And he chose the business route. And in many ways, I came out of my mom's wound hearing to Phil Rizzuto and, you know, Ralph Kiner, some of the great old announcers of the Yankees and the Mets. And ever since I was, you know, even younger than you, out of Pampers, I was always with a red bat, kind of knocking lamps out, and I've always wanted to be a baseball player. So, how old are you? I'm 11. Okay, when I was 10, uh, I remember sitting around with my mom and dad, um, and I had two dreams. I wanted to be a CEO, and I wanted to be a major league shortstop. And those are my dreams. That's awesome. Thank you. So, uh, we'll end it with this. Um, how do you want to be remembered? Well, with the great questions from, from the young men here, uh, Adrian and Jacob, I, I just want to be remembered as, um, as a good father, a present father. Yeah. Yeah. Alex Rodriguez, everybody! Yeah.